0: Hey, everyone. This is Becca. I want to remind you that Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBT plus inclusion and care. You can learn more about their awesome work at postureshift.com. Also, we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, we would love for you to consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash life on side B. Now, on to the episode.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to Life on Side B. This is Henry, and today I have the immense, immense pleasure of uh, chatting with Bridget um, Eileen Rivera, who wrote Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. We have so much to cover. So just first, thank you, Bridget, for being here. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm doing great. It's uh, really great to be here. So thank you for having me.
1: Yes. I mean, um, where are you talking to us from this morning?
0: I am here in New York City. I live in the Bronx. So I'm talking currently from my living room.
1: Perfect. Oh my gosh, I haven't had a chance to text any of y'all this yet. I've been meaning to put y'all in a big group message all the side B uh, mm-hmm. New York people. But I'll be in New York March 14th to the 21st to surprise a pastor friend oh, of mine.
0: Oh, no way! Yeah, so yeah. we
1: all have to get together. Me, you, Ray, Art, whoever else. We all have to get together, so.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah we need we need a side B get together. Yes, yeah, so
1: I've never been in the Bronx, yes. so you gotta show me around the Bronx, so.
0: Okay, party at my place. Yes. I'm totally down.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's get right in. The book, the book. Um, I... I have read it twice, um, because you know.
2: Whoa! Yeah! Wow! I
1: was, that's you mean. know, I when I like start nitpicking something or not nitpicking, but really diving into something, I'm like, okay, I gotta figure the nuances. Like then I become like a fan. I'm like, just uh-huh. my friend. I was a fan first, then we became friends, and I'm a fan again. So I'm just like, this is amazing. <laughs> but um, I guess I just want to start with, how did you choose the topics, um, or the seven? Burdens per se, which I loved. But I was just like, okay, like the way it was structured, I was like, this is going to be really clear. And it was definitely like, oh, she's trying to teach some folks here. I was like, this is a teaching book and this is a teaching method, which I so appreciated. Because I was telling someone yesterday in Atlanta, I was like, you know what? I was kind of hoping she would call out people a little bit more, but you did. <laughs> but I was like, it was very teachable and it was very humble in approach to so some parts for me, I think more than people deserved. But you're a better person than I am. And, yeah, so what made you decide when to, okay, it's time for me to write a book. I have something to say. Um, And how did you choose what you were going to say?
0: Yeah, so um, it was definitely a little bit of a process. Um, When I sat down to kind of plan out the book, I knew immediately, um, like, the first three burdens were like already written in my Mm. mind. Like I had them laid out. I knew exactly what I was wanting to say. Um, And covering the history that led up to present day was like really, really important to me Mm. because I felt as if that is something that um, so many people don't understand and it contributes to Um, just speaking past each other because Mm -hmm. like people don't even know the history of like what we are talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, okay, um, I, I need to cover the history. um, And I need to like lead people up to present day. um, And like, the big, the big things historically are one, um, the role of the Protestant reformation, Mm -hmm. um, which I call in the book, the original sexual revolution, Mm -hmm. the first sexual revolution.
1: Yeah. And I thought that Um, was really fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not the 1960s. Like we've been led to believe Mm -hmm. it was all the way back, um, during Martin Luther's time leading up to today. And so that was kind of like burden number one. And, um, and then Historically, what is the other big thing? Well, Freud and Mm -hmm. like the creation of um, homosexuality as a category Mm -hmm. um, and and the pathology behind it. And so that, you know, immediately was burden number two and exploring Freud's role.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And then the AIDS epidemic and what took place during that time with Mm. uh, just the type of just Um, demonizing that gay people saw Mm -hmm. during that time coming from the religious right. And so all of that was just like, it was written in my mind, like Mm -hmm. from day one, I know this is what I need to talk about. Um, The, uh, the next four burdens um, uh, kind of developed um, as I was writing the first three and just Mm -hmm. kind of spending more time um in thought about what needed to be shared. Um, and um, uh, as I spent time in conversation with the people that I was interviewing. Um, and the uh, interviews that I conducted played a huge, huge role um, in um, identifying the four final burdens that I talk about in the book. Um, just listening to people share their mm-hmm. stories, what they had been through. Um, and just kind of pulling out from that uh, common denominators, I guess, in those Mm -hmm. experiences um, so that I could speak to things that, um, you know, can't necessarily capture the everything about what it's like to be queer in the church, but at least get to um, aspects that can, like, bring people to the heart of the matter I guess mm-hmm. of what's going on um and so yeah I guess that was my process
1: yeah and um since you touched on it the research you did for the background information the context you provided um was incredible it was uh, in depth um it was crafted carefully in a way that helped guide people to like oh this is how we got to where we are because of these things that happened um what was that process like? Because I found, like, the information on the Protestant sexual revolution just fascinating. Like, it's something I've thought through before, but it's never something I've thought through academically or even theologically. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, this was a deliberate, well, this is when this shift happened. And so that's when I found it mm-hmm. really fascinating. Can you tell me a bit about that?
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, the the research that I did was, uh, it was a lot of work, I have to say. Yeah. And, um It Also, there was an added difficulty. I did not have a laptop at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I had to travel into my university every single day to use the computers in my department. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) To do the research and, you know, go in the library and order the books and all these things. Um, And so it was really funny because I would, like, I'd be sitting in in the like computer section of my department and just have like this massive stack of books like like super super high and people would just be like what the heck is she doing over there with all
1: of oh these my books?
0: gosh! um and I like I got a locker for myself in our department and like I would like open up my locker and just like piles of books would just like fall out that was so funny. <laughs> I was like, that I was like skimming through and like finding different nuggets in. And, um, so yeah, the, the research was definitely really intense. Um, yeah. and it definitely got more difficult, um, over COVID, um, because all the libraries oh, yeah, shut closed. down. Yeah. Um, and so I was actually, um, fortunate enough to have um ordered from my university library the vast majority of books that i needed Mm. um uh, and i had i was fortunate enough to have ordered those before everything shut down and Mm so um i wound up just kind of bringing everything home from my university in this like giant backpack and two like other two other bags that i held by (laughs) hand
2: (laughs) Oh um gosh.
0: and wound up returning them actually i returned all of them just a few months ago <laughs>
2: <laughs> i was like Y'all can have this back now. yeah oh yeah um and
0: but how... yeah it was definitely a lot and but it was also a lot of fun and i learned a lot from yeah. the experience too there was a lot that i discovered in the process that i myself hadn't known and was like shocked to find out i was like Because I had known this stuff was there, Mm
2: -hmm. but
0: I didn't realize how there it was. Just, like, sitting there, so apparent and Mm -hmm. obvious. Um, Yeah, it was, like, it was really incredible just digging through all of it.
1: Yeah. How long did it take you to write this book? Since you mentioned beginning of COVID, and I know you were doing research before that. So I think from, like, first writing to publication, how long was that?
0: Um, I started writing end of October, eh, mid October, end of October, um, and I submitted the the final manuscript. End
1: of October of what year? Um, oh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. I was
1: like, "Girl, people uh, might think you met this past fall." <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> no, not this past fall. Right before COVID started, yeah. October 2019. 19, okay. Uh, yeah, right before COVID hit, um, that's when I started, and um, and then I submitted it. Uh, I'm trying to think. I submitted it end of October 2020, so okay. it took a year okay. to write the whole thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I wrote most. I wrote most of it during COVID. Yeah. Um, which so... was an interesting experience.
1: just isolating in itself and then you're dealing with such heavy topics and like you don't have your normal outlets that you would have normally
0: yeah the section that i wrote um about the aids mm-hmm. epidemic um i wrote that um during the first Wave. full month of covid shutdown oh my
1: gosh
0: um and like back like you know during that time everyone was panicking like talking about the apocalypse and yeah. like we're all gonna die and um it was actually really. <laughs> um, uh, terrifying to like be going through that in real life and also like studying yeah it's um, just the parallel epidemic yeah a parallel yeah. epidemic that happened um you know not that long ago yeah until and to again be in new york um, city
1: it's or in new york it's like
0: mm-hmm, where it was kind of yeah. the center
1: of the both of them so to say yeah oh mm-hmm. my gosh Um, so everybody, yeah, go buy this book because clearly it was a labor of love and time and it was a gift to us that Bridget did not owe us, but she gave it to all of us. Um, it was, uh, let's see. Okay. I got lost in my questions here. Um, okay. So (laughs) did you hear back from any of the people that were mentioned in the book? Um, because I, like, for example, Rosaria Butterfield or Denny Burke, um, Mm -hmm. which I think, you are charitable to them in certain specifics because like right they're not all bad like they have things that have contributed Mm -hmm. to the conversation that are helpful and most Mm -hmm. they have are not but i think you are very charitable um certainly more charitable than i think they have been to you in the past so what was that process (laughs) like in figuring out who to mention what kind of uh uh criticisms to engage ahead of future remarks And have you received any Mm -hmm. feedback from those people directly?
0: Yeah, so um, I guess starting with your last question, Mm -hmm. I have not heard from them um, since I wrote the book. I um, don't necessarily expect to hear from them. Um, I would actually be surprised Mm -hmm. um, if they... Um, take the time to carefully read through my book um you know obviously they're aware of it Mm -hmm. and um you know have probably taken the time to look through it Mm -hmm. um but I would be surprised if they took the time to like carefully read through it to Mm -hmm. understand some of the things that I'm saying yeah um but you know i'm I'm more than happy to be proven wrong there, and um you know who knows maybe they will surprise me,
2: yeah,
0: um, but no, I haven't heard from them, and i uh, I mean there were definitely a lot more people that I could have mm-hmm. um talked about who have you know um, negatively contributed to this conversation mm-hmm. um but I guess I wanted to um directly engage with some of the things that Rosaria and Denny have um, talked about, because um, I think that in a lot of ways they uh, kind of can like sum up what the, um, I guess, more negative contributors to this conversation are saying. Uh, which is that um, there's no such thing as gay Christianity um, that LGBTQ people are identifying by their sexuality um, and defining themselves by sexuality, um, that um, the uh, um, only way to pursue holiness is to um, get rid of your sexual attraction or at least pursue um, pursue a, a life that is constantly in repentance over your same-sex attraction mm-hmm. um, and so um yeah i felt as if even though there's many people saying those things i, mm-hmm. I felt i feel as if um, rosaria and denny um, uh, kind of sum up yeah. What is out there in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And so I wanted to engage with the two of them. And, yeah. the, and the big thing that I wanted to point out is that the both of them have admitted um to the very thing that they are attempting to deny. Specifically Rosaria.
1: When you said it to an um her identity and her language about coming out in that whole process. I was like, ooh, Bridget got mm-hmm. her right there. I was like, that was good. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Rosaria says in her book that um, her coming out process um, was not about, like when she came out as um, a lesbian, um, it was not about I- identifying by. Bi- her sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and she says that the concept of sexual orientation um, did not fit within her post-structural queer culture. Mm -hmm. In other words, queer culture is not down Mm -hmm. with the categories that are produced Mm -hmm. within the sexual orientation paradigm. Mm -hmm. In other words, queer culture is critical of that Mm -hmm. um, and has been challenging those things um, and she admits to that in her book. Um, but then, at the same time, like, reverses and then claims that queer people are defining themselves by sexuality, mm-hmm. which, she says, is the very thing that queer people are supposed to be critical of. it's 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 like she herself is contradicting herself. And um, Denny does the same thing um, where he says that queer culture, um is um doing some of the best work in critiquing um sexual pathology mm-hmm. and um let me see if I can like find it here uh here we go um yes He says um, that queer theorists are rejecting sexual orientation as a fixed identity marker Mm -hmm. and are destabilizing the concept of sexual orientation as identity. That's a direct quote from Denny Burke. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, even as he admits that queer people are trying to chip away at this idea that sexual orientation is this defining characteristic of Mm -hmm. human identity, even as he admits that, he points the finger at queer people and says, you are, you know, identifying, you're defining yourself by your sexuality. Mm
1: -hmm. It makes
0: like absolutely no sense when he admits that the whole point of queer theory is the opposite.
1: Yeah. And with these two specifically, but with certainly a host of other people who they sum up, do you think they're actually aware that they're working against, like, they're specifically working against people like us, but then also just working against themselves in a way? Because when you cause this much, con- m- this much confusion with the church and within the body, you're setting everybody mm-hmm. back. It's like, because then now you mm-hmm. and I have to have pointless conversations with other people, refuting the very same things that we have spent. Years and years already fighting for because like I can't I mean probably you more mm-hmm. than me how many I can't tell you how many times people come up, oh well have you read this or did you talk to this person or mm-hmm. did you read what, uh, Beckett whatever said or this I'm just like these people like you're causing me more work <laughs> like but do you think they actually are aware and they get it or do you just think it's like, or and what's the reason for that it's like do you think it's like a culture like wanting to be accepted. By mainstream mm-hmm. Christian, I, it just frustrates me. So, like, what do you think about all of that?
0: Um, you know, I I don't really know. I don't want to like speak no, like only the, the people, only right? they can really yeah. yeah only they can know um whether they are engaging in like a farce or not. Mm. Um, it is very strange to me to hear some of the things that Rosaria says that are just blatantly and outright false Mm -hmm. about queer theory, queer culture, queer people, um, because she also at the same time claims to have been a um, professor who was involved in this um, in the nineties. And it it is very confusing because theoretically she should know better. Mm -hmm. um, And she often actually uses, like, she touts her, like, you know, PhD and her status as a professor in the past in order to, like, appear to be an authority Mm -hmm. on these things. Um, And while at the same time saying things that are just, like, honestly, such such obvious stereotypes of queer culture Mm -hmm. that, like, Are rooted in ignorance.
1: Yeah, are rooted in like '90s (laughs) Um, television.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that like apps like uh, just don't represent what actually is going on at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is very strange because someone like her should know better. um, uh, But you know, I can't. I can't really speak to like what's going on Mm -hmm. um, internally for her. Um, And you know, it's possible that she is so far removed from queer culture at this point, that mm. she has come to believe many of the lies that are spouted about it mm. um, in, you know, broader society.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, you mentioned a few minutes ago um, about how they spend, and a crit, crit, critics in general, not just the two of them, but they spend so much time, like, thinking about our identity points, even more than we do. and then in the book i don't know who you mentioned specific story i can't recall the guy's name but at one point that stuck out to me was when he said i get up in the morning i kiss my husband i go to work and don't really spend a lot of time thinking about my queerness the way they think we do so yeah tell me about that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah oh man um it's yeah that was one of the big things that i wanted to um, point out that Girl, i told you i
1: was in the details of this book I <laughs> yeah that,
0: like m- m- for the most part the the people that are so uh, quick to point the finger at us and say that we are defining ourselves mm-hmm. by sexuality and that's our identity um, are in fact the ones that are the most obsessed with the fact that we are attracted to the same sex mm-hmm. or don't identify, don't feel, um, uh, like we are the gender that the birth cer- that our birth certificate says, mm-hmm. um, like they are the ones that are so like upset about that and harp on it and won't stop talking yes. about it. and. Um And it's like, okay, who really is the one trying to define us by sexuality yes. at, at this point? Like let's just be honest. Like because you are thinking about my imaginary.
1: yeah, it's like you were thinking about my imaginary sex life more than I am at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's absolutely true., um, and it's it's so funny because they themselves don't see it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they do to like your earlier question. Maybe they do. We can't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I feel as if it's so apparent to anybody who is watching, like Uh all you have to do is just like name the elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, Which is that, you know, we are trying to just live our lives yeah, (laughs) and just like go about. Yeah. And just go about our daily lives and like, these people are the ones that are stepping in and saying, hold up, but you have XYZ attractions. You don't do XYZ. You uh, feel this way. You look this way. And that means XYZ. Like, they are the ones that are making this such a defining feature. Not us. Yes,
1: (laughs) it's like you're signing things to me that I probably haven't even talked about, discussed, thought through, yet you... uh all of a sudden are the expert on me. And I think it's always odd when people claim to be experts on people they have not actually engaged or spent time to, like, really assess. Mm -hmm. It's like, for me, as a person of color, Mm -hmm. and obviously you likewise, it's like, when people come up to you and tell you about the experience of um, your POC group, whatever, it's like, "Mm, do you really know? It's almost like whenever people are like, oh, but I know this about black people, blah, 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 to me, I'm like, you have one black co-worker <laughs> that you don't engage with, and yet you think like you're an expert to speak on everything about mm-hmm. this group of people. It's just so odd to me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an obsession and a way of trying to get ahead of like criticism. Because like if you can make other people not believe the other person first, then
0: yep. it's
1: like you don't have to defend yourself. It's so wild to me. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I really do. uh, And this is this is one of the things um, that I really prioritized in my book. Um, I was prioritizing speaking to the people that are observing, listening, watching and trying to learn. Um, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people I think there's a lot of Rosarias and Denny's out there that have made up their mind and have decided to go their way, regardless of reason, logic, truth. Like they, I think there's a lot of people who have just chosen to stick themselves and entrench themselves with where they are. Um, But I was writing my book, Mm. not for those people, but for the people that are, um, on the sidelines and trying to figure out, like trying to understand yes. what what the heck is happening here, um, because um, at the end of the day, people that have like decided to entrench themselves, um, you know, they are only going to be reached if they decide to step out, step of, out, that out of that trench. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like they are the ones who have to ultimately make that choice to step away. Um, in order to learn, um, in order to grow. But there are so many people that are out there that are trying to learn and grow already. Yeah. Um, and those are the people that I wanted to speak to in my book. Um, because, yeah, because those are the ones that are going to be able to hear what I have to say mm-hmm. and actually consider it. And maybe they might disagree with some points, but ultimately they are going to be coming away Looking for what they can um, learn from, even if you know there's some things that you know they're kind of unsure about. They are mm. seeking to find things that can help them move forward and grow as a person, and that's that's who I wrote my book
1: for. Awesome, yeah, that was one of my last questions I wrote down right before we started. I was like, "Who is this book for?" So thanks for jumping ahead and explaining that. <laughs> um, so I don't want to give this book, like, away. I don't want to give away too much from the book because people need to read it. But um, this was actually, this conversation was chosen by the Patreons. And so these are people who, like, specifically voted and chose you as the person for us to interview and your book. And so... Oh, that yeah.
0: is uh, such an honor. Yeah, shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, But you, it everyone. was, like,
1: overwhelming <laughs> request for you. So we're like, I'm going to do it, y'all. Um, and so I'm assuming they've already read the book. But so without giving too much away, I found the interviews you conducted really fascinating and Mm -hmm. how you started each chapter by mentioning a story specifically. How did those come about for you and where did you you draw from people? I guess what population did you draw from people you've met online, from people you've met in church, from people whose stories you've heard, from people who've reached out to you, or was Mm -hmm. it just a combination of all?
0: Um, it was, uh, it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, for the most part, it was uh, people that I uh, know personally in some way, shape or form
2: mm-hmm.
0: or who, um, are friends of friends. Like I'm connected to them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, Or like people that I have maintained a relationship with online Mm. over time. Um, And I drew from a pretty wide swath. It was really, really important for me to um, pull from a wide array of experiences within the LGBTQ umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to have... um, lesbians. I wanted to have bi people. I wanted to have gay men. I wanted to have, um, an asexual voice. I wanted to have someone who, um, could speak to the intersex experience. I wanted to have trans people. Um, and I wanted to have a diversity of racial experiences Mm -hmm. within that. Um, and so I, I really tried to pull from a wide array of experiences as well as a wide array of Theological positions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, the number of people who are who would, you know, maybe fall on the side B side of things is roughly equivalent to the number of people that would fall on the side A side Mm -hmm. of things. Um, And there's also um, a few that, you know, are kind of like, I'm still figuring this out and don't completely know.
2: Mm-hmm. where i
0: am on the theolog on the theology question yeah um and so you know i wanted to get an array mm-hmm. um because i wanted to speak to the fact that like this happens across all experiences mm-hmm. um uh, for everyone in the queer community um regardless of where we fall on theological positions regardless of how we might identify um, um, across racial experiences and denominations. Like this is, these are the common, these are commonly shared experiences across all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I wanted that to just be front and center um, these individual people's stories. Um, And I can also say that um, I interviewed more people than I was able to put in the book, which Mm. was a very frustrating experience for me um, because I, you know, if I could, I would have put every single one
2: um,
0: in the book um, because I felt as if they all had very important Mm. things to share. Um, And so it was very frustrating that I couldn't put every single one in the book.
1: Well, you know, you have a website, so maybe those can end up on there in another form yeah. or fashion. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, speaking to what you said about, you included just as many stories from side A or side B or even people who no longer believe or whatever. Um, did you have any hesitation about, okay, if I played a, which is, oh my gosh, they always pit us against each other anyways. But um, if I play <laughs> to one side of the conversation, am I going to alienate another side or what was that for you?
0: Yeah, um, I did, I did worry about that, um, uh, uh, that people were going to feel as if I was um, catering to one side or the other in my writing. Um, And, you know, I, I knew that as a person who follows the traditional sexual ethic,
2: Mm -hmm. that
0: there were going to be a lot of people on the more progressive side of things that were automatically going to be suspicious of me. And I have received some of that, um, uh, unfortunately, and it Mm. has been frustrating. Um, But then, you know, on the more conservative side of things, there would be people coming at the book, um, you know, seeing the fact that I am supportive of uh, Side A Christians, um, and uh, believe that they have equal standing in the sight of God. Um, I think that there's a lot of people on the more conservative side of things that see that and are like, oh, she's catering too much. Mm-hmm. She's caving to the progressives. Um, and so that was like a very like a thing that I was very aware of. Um, and at the end of the day, I just had to be like, you know, like ultimately I cannot um, write a book out of fear of what mm-hmm. people are going to say on either side of the continuum. Like, I have to write what I feel needs to be said in this moment. Um, and I I did make a point because, um, you know, there, there were opportunities where I could have, like, talked about um, some of the, I guess, internal conflicts within the queer Christian community Mm -hmm. between side A and side B and, you know, the effects that that has Mm -hmm. on people, you know, in that are internal conversations. Yes. Um, but I decided not to because I felt as if, um, this book was not for, um, um, the gay Christian community um alone this book i was hoping would reach a much wider audience Mm -hmm. which is those outside of the gay christian community um who are looking in and needing to learn how to um be inclusive um and i i felt as if talking about our own internal struggles in Mm -hmm. the gay christian community and our own internal conflicts um, would just take away from my wider goal of speaking to um, cishet Christians out Mm -hmm. there (laughs) and helping them to come along and understand our experiences better.
1: Yeah, and I think there's something to be said too about not sharing too much of the internal stuff because I think sometimes when you give people access to that, they can end up using those against you. Because I even think yeah. about when I speak to, like, white people sometimes about, like, POC issues, I'm like, mm, sometimes some of this needs to be ha- handled internally with people of color and not necessarily in, like, yeah. the broader community. But that, because that's almost like putting too much out there that then gives them excuse yeah. to distract from what we're actually trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that was something that actually was on my mind. Um, having learned that from, (laughs) um, conversation, like racial conversations Mm -hmm. that like, it's not like, it's actually very frustrating Mm -hmm. when a white person tries to speak into a conversation that they have like nothing to do with, Mm -hmm. that does not actually ultimately impact Mm -hmm. them. Um, and like the frustration of that, um, within, um, a POC context and, um, I kind of took from those lessons and mm-hmm. applied that in this context to um, conversations that are really internal to the gay community yeah. um, and the gay Christian community specifically. Yeah.
1: I thought that was wise. Um, so you mentioned uh, both just presenting both sides of the conversations equally and treating them with the same dignity and respect. And um, later on in your book, or you mentioned that just now, but in the book, you also touched on the Pulse um, shooting, or uh, rather. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, one, I thought, because it took me back to that day and time, and I remember I was in church that morning uh, for rehearsal mm-hmm. for Band of Practice Right when the news broke, or when I became aware of the news. Um, and I remember feeling this, oh, well, if I respond... Because, I mean, weep with those who weep. And certainly, and I was like, the gay community, which I'm a part of, which you're a part of, the broader community, was experiencing a loss. And, I mean, something devastating happened. And mm-hmm. a parts of me remember thinking, oh, well, are they, are one, are queer people going to be okay with me feeling this? Because I'm mm-hmm. one of the good Christians as people label us or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's what I was worried about that in, like, just the regular secular everyday world, whatever you want to call it. And then in the Christian community, I'm just like, are they going to expect me not to have a response to this because I don't belong to that group that suffered persecution? Or like even your book said that one pastor was like, 50 pedophiles were murdered or something like that. Like, why would, mm-hmm. we, why would we be sad about something like that? And then to yeah. see the Christian response in a lot of places, it was such polar opposite. Some were just like, we don't care. We act like it's not going to, it didn't happen. And then others were super, Mm -hmm. super compassionate and like, oh, this is terrible. And so, yeah, why did you include Mm -hmm. that in the book? And in what ways do you think that shaped? Um, Because I think we had that incident happen in 2016. And then we've had these cultural shifts over the past Mm -hmm. six years that I think have led both the regular world and the Christian world to, I think, a more place of empathy and understanding than before. So, what do you think that had to play in it, if anything? Uh, sorry, I just asked you like five questions at once, <laughs> but
2: no, no.
0: I I think um, I think that it's a good many questions that you asked. <laughs> 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 um, so, when it comes to the Pulse nightclub shooting, I um, I wanted to include that one because I think it speaks to the fact that these um, sentiments toward the gay community are ongoing Mm -hmm. like a a thing that a lot of people have told me in the past has been like okay that was historical that was a different time Mm -hmm. during like you know the aids pandemic when like christians hated gay people and wanted them all to die and believed that this was god's judgment or whatever like you know, mm-hmm. like that was like in the past, that was historical. Like yeah, now like, we're, we're not going to do
1: that now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I felt as if the poll shooting um, really spoke to the fact that no, these sentiments are still here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, uh, like these things have not gone away, um, they are very present in the lives of queer people um, and something that, you know, we think about.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And that
0: affects us. Um, And so I wanted to bring it up because of that. And um, especially um, because um, in that section of the book, I was, you know, talking about um, the history of the um, religious rights um, posturing towards the gay community. And I wanted to bring us up to the present day Mm -hmm. to uh, show how this remains a current Mm -hmm. um, up to the present day. Um, And um, also, I guess, um, I felt as if I just I couldn't leave it out. Mm -hmm. Like it was such, it was such a big deal. And um, for me, it had such a lasting impact. Um, uh, I like still remember the emotions that mm. I felt during that time. Um, and I like that, that summer, um, especially I uh, had like, I actually had like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say like an emotional breakdown, but like I had a moment where I was at work and, Um, I just like broke down crying and like could not stop crying. Mm. Um, and like, I had to like leave and step out. And like, I just kind of like, I just sat on the sidewalk outside the building and just cried and cried and cried. Mm. Um, uh, because like, like, I think the pulse shooting, um, is like, it was such a big event on top of everything else in Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, like everything else going on in the church and like the treatment of gay people. And, you know, in my life specifically, um, uh, you know, the things that I was going through because of being queer, Mm -hmm. um, it was just, it was so, so much. And, um, and, you know, especially most of the, um, gay people who died in the poll shooting were um, Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. which was, you know, another um, added kind of weight. And I still remember, you know, a family member calling me and, you know, wanting to talk about, um, you know, like, like being like, oh, my gosh, did you hear about the, the shooting? So many Puerto Ricans died in that, like most of them were Puerto Ricans. And Like, you know, it was, it was an emotional phone call because I wanted to talk about the fact that those Puerto Ricans were queer Mm. and I knew, I knew that I couldn't. Mm. Um, And like, that was like such a hard moment for me. Um, So yeah, so I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't leave out Mm -hmm. Pulse because it was, it's such an important historical moment that took place over the past decade and um i think really speaks to um a lot that continues to go on these sentiments that continue to prevail towards the gay community um in conservative christian spheres
1: Mm -hmm. and you know what's really interesting is that was 2016 and then the year before that was in gay marriage was legalized. And so it's like people think we make mm-hmm. this much progress. And then it's like, no, mm-hmm. This still exists out here. like yeah. That.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's see. What else do I have for you here? I have a couple more questions. Um, Page 125, at least. I don't know what it is in print, but on the ebook, it's page 125. My celibacy is always a lesson to be given to the gays, but not the straights. I was like, mm-hmm. retweet, 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 like, I mean, clap for <laughs> that, that whole section. I was like, yes, girl. I mean, I was just like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Um, so give me all the background and context on that that you want um, without giving too much away. Because I just, I mean, we. It's, like, it's so crazy how, like, our stories, like, certainly gay Christians, we're not a monolith. And no people group are a monolith or whatever. But it's yeah. like so many of our experiences are similar that you think people would listen to us. It's like,
2: Mm -hmm. oh,
1: Bridget's been told that. I've been told that. Like, I literally almost actually... Not almost. I did roll my eyes when I read parts of that because I was like, oh, great, she gets it too. Like, we all get it. It's like, oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, It does really frustrate me because I... uh, Whenever people, like want to use the fact that i am celibate as a like i don't know like see you know she's like a weapon again, against again, other like you, people yeah like you had mentioned like she's one of the good ones mm. um she's she's doing it right and it yeah it becomes this weapon against others and it's like um okay so like i am doing my best Mm -hmm. to follow traditional teaching um and why do you feel as if that is something to turn against all the other gay christians that exist in the world Mm -hmm. why why would you why would you go there why can't you like look at yourself yes and um consider maybe how you um are not submitting to um to what the bible calls you to do um and you know it is very very frustrating um and you know it's like okay you celebrate the fact that i follow a traditional interpretation of scripture let's look at what a traditional understanding of scripture actually
2: is Mm -hmm.
0: oh well look at this like if we're going to Follow traditional teaching that actually implicates a lot of straight Christians in the church yes. and how they are living. Their
1: life. Yes.
0: Um. So, so this isn't just about like gay people. Like actually, most of what we can learn from the Bible about traditional sexual ethics applies to straight
2: people. <laughs> yes. I mean, just even suggesting so, yeah.
1: speaking <laughs> that is already true. Yeah. Um, my yeah. response to that, I wrote something down. And because whenever people tell me, oh, Henry, I'm so encouraged by your celibacy, like, way to just sacrifice for the kingdom. Bridget, I'm so, like, just in awe of what you're doing. I'm like, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. But also, it's like, um, why can't you tell me about something you're sacrificing for the kingdom? Why is uh, My loss on this side of eternity is something that, like, you admire, but it doesn't spur you to look at your own life and examine and see, oh, wow, Bridget is giving something up Mm -hmm. for the kingdom. What areas of my life Mm -hmm. am I not examining closely and stewarding the same way that she is with the same kind of commitment to Christ? And that's always my question. Like, yeah, whenever somebody tells me that now, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, thanks. What are you, like, sacrificing or giving up for the Mm -hmm. sake of the kingdom? And most of them usually don't have an answer to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um or like they'll make comparisons to yes. like not watching porn. Um, <laughs> or like not cheating on their wife. Yes. And it's like, come on. You want a pat baby. on the back like, for something? Are you <laughs> it's
1: like you're not you supposed legitimately to cheat on your wife. Want,
0: Yeah. Yeah, like you want me to celebrate the fact that you're not watching porn. Yeah. Like, good job. Like you like want me to celebrate the fact that you aren't having an affair. Like what like, like you want to compare that compare. to how i'm living my life yeah. No, it does not
2: compare
1: no and <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny and something else you just touched on too with um in that same section of segment um which i don't want to get too into the weeds of because i do want people to really read this book and read that part of it and think really critically about it but it's like all right if we're going to take the sexual ethic that we're adhering to and really examine it put it under scrutiny. It's like it has so many more implications for heterosexual people, like you just said, in terms of even like the use of contraception and all these other things and whatnot. And I just found that section and it was was another one of those. Okay, girl, get them, girl. Like they're (laughs) reading this and be like, oh, that is a point. So was that important for you to put in there (laughs) to give people like a different lens to look at that same sacrifice? Through It's like, okay, if they're doing that. What do we maybe, mm-hmm. like, we want to hold them that traditional ethic, but, like, we want to not, or we want to turn the other eye, or turn the other way, rather. Yeah. From looking at ourselves with the same manner.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was very important because, um I mean, what's one of the, like, biggest, like, insults that someone hurls at gay people like they'll say oh you sodomite like Mm -hmm. i don't like i don't support the sin of
2: sodomy Mm -hmm. like you
0: know when they're really looking to like hurl an insult that is one of the ones that like a straight christian will go for um and you know calling gay people sodomites and i wanted i really wanted to like get deep down into the weeds of like what sodomy actually is Mm -hmm. Um, like a court, like if we are going to actually look at how sodomy has been applied through a traditional sexual ethic lens, Mm
2: -hmm. then
0: the vast majority of things that fall underneath the category of sodomy are heterosexual behaviors, Mm -hmm. um, not, not homosexual behaviors, Mm -hmm. like the vast majority of things that would be considered sodomy according to a traditional lens, are heterosexual. Um, And that includes um, a whole lot of sexual behaviors that the vast majority of conservative Christians actively engage in
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, today. Um, And it's just a little bit ironic because they will, on the one hand, celebrate the fact that I follow traditional teaching but ignore the fact that they themselves actually don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actively um, preach a sexual ethic that is not actually traditional at all. Um, you know, I, I think I was reading an article by Wayne Grudem where he was um, supporting um, the use of IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you'll read a lot of evangelical pastors Um, talking about how divorce and remarriage is okay. Um, You'll hear um, a lot, you know, supporting things that just would never be okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) under a traditional understanding of scripture. Yeah, And I I get into it more in the book and I explore it more deeply. Um, But it is, it's a huge double standard um, because the, the reality is, is that um, we meaning gay people mm-hmm. are expected to follow traditional teaching to a T. Um, but I have never met a straight Christian that expects the same of themselves and other <laughs> straight
1: Christians. Gosh. Yeah. That section is really good. Y'all. So just dive into that part of the book. Um, Another section that I found really fascinating was the social construct of clarity. I really enjoyed the section and the language found in it. Um, What other social constructs do you think we as queer people or queer Christians are burdened by?
0: Yeah. Well, um, the biggest one is um, the social construct of sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and like the the pathologizing of homosexuality. um, And Uh, there's just so uh, much attached to that, that like continues to haunt us to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, I talk about in my book, how um, all of the different things that gay people try to do in order to get people to understand Mm -hmm. that, like, this does not define us. Um, So that's like, I mean, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, Another social construct is um, just gender Mm -hmm. in general. Um, And, you know, so we, you know, we talk about the, you know, sexuality side of things and how sexuality is constructed in our culture. Um, But then um, there's also gender and how gender is constructed and, you know, what's considered masculine and feminine Mm -hmm. and and, like appropriate roles for a man and appropriate roles for a woman Um, and how like, you know, if you're born with a certain biology, that automatically means you must be X, Y, Z way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's um, all of that is uh, a social construct um, and very much rooted in culture and how your culture thinks about yeah. um, all of these different things. Um, and I, I actually quote, uh, I actually quote the, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, I've like, oh yeah, recovering. I don't know why I just like blanked on that. I actually quote the you know flagship book of biblical manhood and womanhood, recovering biblical yes. manhood and womanhood, <laughs> um, and I quote them actually saying that gender is a, a socialized thing that it is rooted in cultural norms, um, and like like they will admit it, um, and yet they will still say that these things are nevertheless um, uh, like like gospel truths that must be followed for you to be a good Christian. Like you must be masculine in all of these ways. Otherwise you are not a godly man. You must be feminine in all of these ways. Otherwise you are not a godly woman, Mm -hmm. even though um, they will admit that these things are ultimately rooted in culture, not any kind of biblical universal.
1: That's so true. Especially even one that I thought that even ties in with that is uh, that even the social construct of romance, which we are critiqued yes. and criticized mm-hmm. for. And uh, I'm just yep. like, Lord, I roll my eyes. <laughs>
0: hmm
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yep. Uh,
0: romance itself. I mean, like, so much behavior, like, can be interpreted as being romantic mm-hmm. until, like, you can't do anything with a friend because like people might think you're being romantic with them.
2: Yes. Um,
0: And it's just kind of like, okay. So in other words, um, like we all have to be islands to ourselves, never interact in any kind of way that expresses love and care for other people
1: or, um, because
0: yeah. it could, because it could potentially be construed as being romance.
1: Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> it's like, Oh yeah. Let me not yeah. buy you a gift or let me not even and in like, That's only a thing because you literally just made a thing and culture is obsessed with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Okay, we have a few more minutes here. Um, So I want to just jump kind of forward to the end of the book. Um, What do you think is next for the church? And what are your hopes for the church? So what do you think is next and what are your hopes for the church?
0: Um, I I think in terms of what's next for the church, I think – there's there uh, next steps are a lot of a lot of learning mm-hmm. um a lot of taking the time to step back and listen um and uh not assume that what you believe is automatically the right thing um i think that's I I think that's what's next, Um, taking time to step back Mm -hmm. and listen and learn. And I I do think that more and more people are doing that now. Um, I think more people than ever before are doing it now. Mm -hmm. And um, in terms of my hopes, I really hope that we can move past this cultural moment of like such intense um hostility and animosity over lgbtq issues i really hope that we can move past this and um allow people to just live their lives um and under and have an understanding that um some LGBTQ Christians are going to come to a traditional understanding of scripture. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, some LGBTQ Christians are going to come to an understanding of scripture that affirms same sex marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really hope that we can get to a place where we can just be okay with that reality and where we can all affirm the fact that, we're all Christians trying to follow Jesus as best we can. Mm -hmm. Um, And that what we believe ultimately about marriage is not the defining factor of whether a person goes to heaven or hell, whether they are a true Christian or not. I, Mm -hmm. I hope that we can get past thinking of marriage as such an ultimate question and be able to recognize Um, each other as siblings in Christ regardless of how we define something like marriage or how we define something like gender
1: okay those are some good hopes and uh yeah goals for the church um before we wrap up one I just enjoyed the book so much and thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to just sit down and chat with me um And uh, yeah, this book was a gift to me and a resource to me. I've shared it with so many other people already. And I just hope that the work you, I hope you know that the work you are doing and have been doing is so, so vital and it is not wasted. Um, And we thank you so much. We owe you a great deal of just thanks.
0: Well, thank you. And it's always a pleasure getting to See you and chat with you, Henry.
1: Yes. Uh, last question for you. Okay, so we are this uh, season, the theme is resilience. And so we are asking each guest that comes on, um, what does resilience mean to you? And you can define that not ever you want. Mm.
0: Resilience. What does resilience mean to me?
2: Hmm.
0: This is a good one. I wish you had warned me. I was getting this. Question
1: I know. I was I like, I, I should have told her that. Well, when Josh first put it to oh. me, and I was like, oh, <laughs> what am I gonna say? So yeah, I, I have some time to think about it.
0: Oh well, in my life, I'll speak to my life. Um, I don't want to like speak to like mm-hmm. what resilience is like as like the ultimate definition of resilience. But in my life, resilience. To me has looked like putting one foot in front of the other mm. and walking forward um, and just staying the course and not allowing whatever is going on in my life to, I guess, uh, Cause me to veer off or give up, um, or or just or just say it's no longer worth it. Um, I think for me, resilience has looked like just knowing the path that I I'm on, and just putting one foot in front of the other, and just just keep going. One That's foot, been what it's been for me. Yes,
1: one foot in front of the other. That is resilience for our very own Bridget Aileen Rivera. Um, Bridget is, like I mentioned earlier, the author of Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. That book is available wherever books are sold um, in print and online. So please go pick up copy and support her and uh, support her ministry. Bridget, thank you so much once again. Appreciate your time.
0: Thank you.